Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. John Reese is an author and media strategist who helps filmmakers and companies navigate the new distribution and marketing landscape. He has worked with consulted and consulted for Paramount Pictures, Screen Australia, Film Independent, Creative Scotland, and numerous film schools and festivals to devise ways to educate and help independent filmmakers in the new economic landscape. John's book is Think Outside the Box Office. And Carol, I know you promote John on your international filmmaking class, Intentional filmmaking class, which is also international, <laughs> as the guru right. for for new forms of distribution, right? Yes, and John is really well-versed on marketing, too. In fact, he's a guru in both marketing and distribution, and John, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. Well, I want our filmmakers to learn from you how they can make money from their films through self-distribution. And that article you recently wrote for Filmmakers Magazine was brilliant because it gave us numbers from various areas of distribution that we never had before. So um, let's go over some areas of distribution and like video streams and start with, first of all, uh, who do you recommend as an aggregator and what do they do for filmmakers? Um, yeah, I would actually, you know, the key thing as far as like, can I, do you mind if I back up that the reason that these people had, you know, had success is because they all connected with their audience, identified and connected with their audiences. And the, the thing about distribution is that, um, you can get your film up onto platforms in a variety of ways, but, um, if you don't have an audience or if you don't have a, you know, if you're not connected with an audience, it's going to be difficult to, you know, get people to pay and go to those sites. So sorry if I just want to make that caveat, you know, um, just kind of putting yourself up onto VOD platforms isn't necessarily, there's no magic bullet for, you know, making sales and and making money. Um, So just wanted to, you know, say that out of the gate. Yes, um, this is the most important thing. I think when we finish, everyone will realize how important their database is for marketing, even more so than their Facebook page, right? Um, yes, like an email database is very important, um, you know, and yeah, social media and email are two of the tools with which you would, you know, engage with audiences, but there's, you know, other tools as well. And, you know, that's maybe a subject of another talk or something maybe we've talked about in the past as well. Um, but in terms of what an aggregator is, an aggregator is a, um, a place that takes, you know, exactly what the name is, is it takes a variety of uh, content, aggregates it, puts it together, and then presents it to the various online platforms. Um, And, um, you know, 
what I believe aggregators have started to notice is that some of their titles perform very well and many of the others don't perform as much. And, you know, there's been a little bit of a trend that I've noticed recently where they're going to put a certain amount of effort into the films that have, you know, connected with audiences and, and seem to have an audience for the film and potentially less so for, you know, the films that haven't, or they may not even, you know, if you don't have really what seems like a strong audience or, you know, um, uh, you know, you haven't, or, you know, the film is of a certain, they're going to be more selective these days in terms of the films that they take on, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, some of the ones that I've worked with in the past are Synodyme, um, Gravitas, um, uh, Film Buff, um, but for instance, the orchard used to be a aggregator for, um, you know, used to be an aggregator and would take, you know, submissions, but now they've pretty much turned themselves into a distributor in the, in the mode of they're only taking a certain number of titles and they're actually acquiring those titles. They'll like go to film festivals and, and, you know, and engage people at those festivals in an acquisitions environment as opposed to a submissions environment. So, you know, those are and those aggregators that I just mentioned, the Dime, um, Gravitas, Film Buff, are um, entities that will generally work on a percentage basis, and they'll absolutely. And now, until Orchard just uh, partnered with um, a big film festival, I'm trying to think of the name. Recently. Who did? Did you read about that? Which? Who did? Orchard just uh, partnered with a film festival to. Uh, with uh, yeah, I think it was uh, the New York festival to get uh, to ta- have a first look at product going through there. Hmm, that's interesting. Archer, you say? Archer did yes. Okay, okay. So oh, they're the moving orchard, really the orchard, heavily uh, the orchard, into yeah. the distribution area. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, and um, oh, I should also mention Nelson Madison, who I think does. A, I haven't worked with. Um, and but I think does a really nice job. You know, seems to have a good reputation from um, their from their filmmakers. Um, and so those are generally aggregators that work on percentage. Then there's also kind of like a bit of more of a DIY approach where you'll you pay a company to put you you know to aggregate you essentially um, or to encode and put your your film on a platform and. And that's, you know, some of the people who do that are like uh, a company called Distriber, um, who um, was around for a while, then kind of was sold and shut down, but now is kind of reborn as a new company. Um, Then there's also Film Collaborative does this work. And then also Premier Digital through their Quiver brand will also do this. Um, So those are some of the ways that you can get. And for this, we're talking about, getting your film up onto the major platforms such as, you know, iTunes, um, Amazon, which you can also do directly yourself, um, uh, Sony PlayStation, Xbox, uh, potentially Netflix, um, and um, let's see, Hulu, you know, those are the, those are the Google Play, you know, those are the Voodoo, those are the kinds of broadband platforms that these aggregators um, can put you up on. Um and it's all and, they can put you on all of these if they want. In other words, it's there's no restrictions on which ones well, you can. Well, you know, you yes, it depends on some of the platforms are a little pickier than others in terms of like Netflix won't take every film, 
um, you know, and um, even Xbox and PlayStation won't take every film. Um, you know, iTunes generally, you you know, depending on if you meet their requirements, you know, and in their content requirements, you can pretty much get on. Amazon, you can get on. Um, Google Play, you can <clears throat> pretty much get on. Um, but the other ones are a little bit more, you know, can be a little bit more selective. And some of the, you know, some of the aggregators for that you pay um, don't have a relationship with Xbox or PlayStation. But those are very, you know, particular audiences and. You know, it's it doesn't have to. It's not every um, film is appropriate for those platforms. Well, tell us a, a, a guesstimate on what percentage you might pay uh, to some of these aggravators. Aggravators somewhere in the realm of fifteen to twenty-five percent. You know, um, and uh, you know, it's in that range. You know, uh, generally, um, and that's where the percentage when you when you pay when you pay an upfront and usually they take the encoding costs off the back end, which are you know like two thousand twenty five hundred. So they'll pay for the encoding costs generally upfront, um, and then they'll take a percentage um, after the you know they take a percentage of sales and will deduct the encoding costs at the end. When you do, when you go through Distriber, Film Collaborative, um, and Quiver, Premier Digital, generally you get 100%. You're paying upfront for the encoding costs, but you'll get 100% of the revenue that comes through iTunes um, or Amazon. And don't forget, most of these platforms, if it's a, a transactional platform such as iTunes, Google Play, Amazon. Um, they generally take about 30% of the money first, and then so you're getting, you know, like 75% of the 70% is how it works. Okay. So they let's say it was uh, Amazon. They would take 30% of uh, the 75%. No, no, no. no. So Amazon... So say iTunes, you know, say you have a, uh, a download to own you know, a purchase of a film for $10 on iTunes and right. iTunes takes 30%. So then there's $7 left over that goes to the aggregator. And then the aggregator takes, you know, say 20% of that or 25% of that. And that's, you know, and then the, the rest is for you. So. Okay. All right. So you're, you definitely are out 40 um, or 50% before it gets to you. So. Yeah. A little bit more, but. Well, do you do you recommend that you uh, do you go directly uh, to some of these places yourself, like set up your own Amazon yourself? Well, you know, I think well, I think the the thing is, is if you can get an aggregator, you know, one of the bigger aggregators who are really going to promote you. I think part of what they, you know, one of the selling points is that they're going to do what's called merchandising, which is to get you on the front page of independence or the front page of documentaries, or they're going to argue, you know, that they're going to push for you to be in those places. Um, if you do it on your own, you know, through distributor, film collaborative, generally, you know, those places don't do that. They're basically just providing an encoding service for you. Um, and so that's potentially the reason to go with, these aggregators, it's just a matter of whether, and you know, and really listen to them as far as if they're going to take you on, you know, because generally they'll promote some titles more heavily a month than the rest of the titles. So, um, you know, so that's, it's just, 
you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a crapshoot. I would, you know, if you're not going to go through an aggregator, I would definitely go through, you know, if you're not going through one of these aggregators for percentage, I would definitely consider going through an aggregator, you know, for hire, you know, one of these, you know, like film collaborative, et cetera, to get your film up. I think it's the biggest expenses for iTunes. Um, and then the other platforms tend to be an additional 150 to $250, which in the long run doesn't, you know, isn't, as um, you know, and then avoids having to set up certain you know merchant accounts with them, et cetera. So it's probably worth it. Okay. So it's marketing that they're promising you. So you really, when you sit down or when you talk to them, you want to get very clear on exactly what marketing they will do for you for the money they're they're taking, right? Yeah, for the per- yes, exactly. And this is again, it's like that, these are the these are the aggregators, you know, such as you know Gravitas Film Buff. You know, it's merchandising, which is placement, and then sometimes they'll also do some marketing as well. But all of these places are expecting, you know, yeah, they're the the marketing that they do is not is not going to make or break the film. It's it's uh, it's, it's dependent on the really in the audience that you as a filmmaker have developed. That's where the real money is, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's t- tell us about transactional video on demand called TVOD. So transactional video on demand is comprised of two separate types of video demand. First is electronic sell-through, which also is sometimes referred to as download to own, or used to be more called download to own, but you'll still see that in contracts. So that's where it's someone, a consumer is actually buying a copy of the film. So, it's, you know, when you go to iTunes and you want to own the film, that's electronic sell-through. Um, the more, I think the more common one that people use is IVOD, which is Internet Video On Demand, which is um, which used to be known as broadband download to rent, which is where someone rents a copy of the film for 24 hours or, you know, 72 hours for some period, you know, at that. And both of those, both of those categories then combine to make transactional VOD where an actual transaction is what um, triggers the, um, is what triggers the, the viewing of the movie. Um, to distinguish it from what is called SVOD or subscription VOD and AVOD, which is um, ad-supported VOD. So then we can I can describe those categories as well. But that's that's what distinguishes transactional is actually having a, a, a transaction for the viewing of the film or ownership of the film. A transaction that triggers the viewing. Good. Mm-hmm. That makes it clear. Now, yes, let's go to the SVOD, subscription VOD. So that's, um, you know, that's essentially Netflix, um, uh, Amazon Prime, um, and now potentially HBO Now, where people pay a, um, uh, the customer pays a monthly subscription to the service, and then for that monthly subscription can watch unlimited films. So, hence subscription video on demand, and um, and I think there's a big move to this because I think people generally, you know, often don't like to pay for individual titles, and it's cheaper for them to you know have a big amount of content that they pay a flat monthly fee for. Um, and um, so Netflix is probably would you know 
is the biggest player, you know, in this marketplace. Um, obviously, Amazon is trying to catch up and is being very aggressive. And for filmmakers, what they pay because they don't um, pay filmmakers per viewing, they'll pay a flat license fee um, for your film. Um, and um, yeah, and that used to be rel- you know, relatively low. You know, when they were in the days when Netflix was acquiring many, many titles, they would just buy a lot of titles for less money. Now they're in the mode of, you know, acquiring fewer titles and potentially paying a little and paying more per title. So, um, yeah, that's how that works. Can you give us any idea of what the licensing fee might be, what even a range it could run from? I mean, it can range from a thousand to five thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, as low as that. Um, you know, upwards to um, um, upwards to you know, when they do a buyout of the whole film and acquire all the rights to a film, I mean, it can get into the you know six, seven, you know, maybe even into well, I think for a few films, even into the seven figures. I think they just bought a film. Um, all rights to a film for $12 million, you know, but that's, that was more of a, a much, much bigger film. So the the range is quite large um, depending on what they think it's going to, you know, what, what it's going to do for their platform and, you know, what, you know, if they feel like their audience is going to be interested in it. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, there's, I've seen, you know, there's, you know, in the in the article, I think I mentioned a couple of deals in the $50,000, $60,000 range, you know, and that's, you know, kind of like the seems like the mid-level, you know, range for them. You know, but that's not when they're controlling it exclusively. So, but again, it all depends on you know the film and you know what's happening with the market. So it's really hard to say, and it's not something that I would recommend promising you know your investors in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, oh, the other. Exactly. I should also mention another subscription service. Um, which operates a little on a generally little bit different model, which is where they actually do pay per view, um, and that's Fandor. Um, and that's where a lot of, you know, they have a lot of independent and European content, and so that's, you know, that's a very interesting platform. And um, and they actually do, you know, pay per view, but it, it's but they're not paying upright licensing fees um, generally. So, um, you know, it's but it's a good, you know, I think it's a very you know, reputable platform that, you know, is developing a very good name for itself, you know, so something to consider. B-A-N-D-O-R? F-A-N, like Van Vandor. Vandor, yes. Okay, and are you located in the United States, but they're international? Um. I'm not sure if you can watch. They get international titles. I don't know if they're an international platform or not, or if they're just based in the States. That's actually something. I'm pretty sure they're just based in the, in the United States. Okay. Most of these, most of these, you know, these types of platforms are geo, are geo blocked. And you'd have to be one thing to think about when you're a filmmaker is if you're going to do international sales is to make sure that you're, you know, that the broad, that you're very careful about how you're, you know, your broadband rights appear in different territories. Oh, my gosh, you have to really watch that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, you could actually make a mistake and sell your foreign rights very cheap accidentally, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, well, 
Um, so now, then cable VOD, video on yeah. demand. That's have we covered that? No, not no. That's also obviously transactional, but um, you know, cable VOD is something where um, you you do need an aggregator to get up on cable VOD. It's not something that you can do yourself generally um, or at all. And um, these days, it's pretty much generally limited to titles that have some form of theatrical release, like a 10-city theatrical release. Um, um, and it needs to be like a real, you know, theatrical release um, uh, just because it's you're competing with a lot of studio content. It's really name-based, you know, so it's really based on um, the recognition of the um, of the audience of the title. And so it's, you know, unless you have... Um, you know, something, mo- you know, in general, most titles, you know, and it's up to the aggregator will tell you whether they think you can get up onto cable VOD. And some cable VOD platforms, you know, are a little bit more open, you know, and there's some other ways to skin the cat, you know, and I'm just, I'm speaking in generalities here. Um, but, um, you know, generally that's, that's, that's the situation with cable VOD. So it's a little bit harder for, you know, most independents, you know, to get up on cable VOD. Right. Okay. But well, that's uh, is this is a real good place to go to your article, that brilliant article in Filmmaker Magazine, and mm-hmm. you talked to Judy Chaikin mm-hmm. about yeah. the girls in the band, and her goal mm-hmm. was to have a theatrical release that would help her negotiate higher sales figures on her mm-hmm. ancillary release, and to try out a new model to take control mm-hmm. of the process. That's mm-hmm. what your article was saying. So what I gathered from the information in, in the article is that she spent, you said the total cost of the release was 100000 including creating mm-hmm. marketing materials, et cetera. And then she brought in 115000 So mm-hmm. that was a tremendous amount of work uh, to, to make 15000 But mm-hmm. what what would you say that her major rewards were from that? You know, part of it is is that, you know, it's, um, you know, she was able to make a little revenue from that. And um, I think she created, you know, what you're trying to do with a film is to dent the media landscape and to create a name for the film that's going to, you know, um, help in other revenue streams as well. And so if you can actually break even or, you know, make a little money by doing that and then to hopefully that, that what you're able to achieve there is going to result in more, you know, ancillary revenue, whether it be VOD or even in some cases DVDs or other merchandise. So, um, you know, I think that's part of what she was, you know, going for. She also wanted to try out this method of releasing films because she had worked with distributors in the past and hadn't been so pleased with the the experience, traditional distributors, um, and she really wanted to see about creating a relationship with a you know a fan base and so um, with an audience and so that's also why she pursued this path. Yes, and you say by the end of the theatrical release they had amassed three thousand on their uh, email list. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So and that will help her in future projects as well. You know when she goes to crowdfund her next project, you know, it may not be exactly similar, but there's probably going to, there's a decent chance there'll be something similar 
about the project that would interest the the audience. You know, so absolutely. Um, My numbers that I use, John, with crowdfunding, she could she definitely would be able to get the way I look at it is five percent of your database. So that's a hundred and fifty fans to give her probably an average of a hundred dollars each. So mm-hmm. that's not bad. That's future mm-hmm. money. Uh, mm-hmm. For donations, not even buying, that's not even asking them to buy something, which they will also do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and But the interesting thing in your article says, of these fans, they count about 25 super fans who are actively championing the film. Tell me about mm-hmm. the super fans. This is something new. Well, I don't, you know, it's been, you know, what you wanted, these are people who, you know, will set up screenings for you. These are people who will promote the project repeatedly, you know, so you want to try to cultivate as many of those kinds of people as possible. And there won't be a tremendous amount of them for most projects. I think each of the projects I, each of the projects I spoke to that kind of like, kind of felt like they kept track of that a little bit, felt like they had like somewhere between 12 and 25 people. Um, but that's, you know, important, like, especially if you're going to do like crowdsourced, um, theatrical where you like tug or gather where people, you know, the audience, certain people in the audience, you know, request a screening um, and promote a screening in their town. Those are the super fans who are doing that kind of work, you know. What do you think of uh, tug and gather? Because I interviewed both of those owners and they're such nice people and they, they mm-hmm. really care about getting mm-hmm. filmmakers films to the right audiences. I think they're great. I think it's great what they they do. But again, just like crowdfunding, it, it you can't just expect the platform to to do to create the success for you. You have to actually um, you have to actually you know do the work to kind of like and develop the audience to to make that happen. You have to bring the names to the table, and then <laughs> they can help you find. Uh, theatrical uh, on demand so that if you have a lot of names in let's just say New York, LA, Chicago, then uh, they will help you do screenings in those cities, right? Yes, but you need someone on board, you know, someone on from your side who's actually going to, you know, promote the screening and try to engage the screening and, and promote it. I mean, you know, you can try to do it yourself, but it's really up to, you know, it's really kind of like again, it's crowdsourced. It's coming from the crowd to do this. So yes, um, so that those had, people who care about your film will bring in their neighbors and friends and help you fill yeah, up the theater. Exactly. exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, so back to the areas of distribution. Um, let's talk about DVD sales. Are mm-hmm. filmmakers still printing DVDs? I think some are. It depends on the audience, you know, um, and it depends also if you can make the package kind of unique. And, you know, I think if you have a much younger audience, I would think that probably you're not doing DVDs. If you have an audience that skews a little older or, you know, if it's a social issue film where people want to gift the film physically or buy the film at at screenings, um, that's, you know, potentially, you know, a, a potential way to do it. You know, I think that it just it depends on kind of the audience that you have. Um, and, you know, it, it potentially makes sense for some people and not for others. 
you know. Like if you go to Gary Hustwitz's site, you know, he creates these amazing packages for the the design trilogy and he just released a box set and it's really beautiful and his audience loves those kind of beautiful objects. And so for him, you know, it, it does make sense. He also did like when he did the Helvetica, uh, the Blu-ray edition of Helvetica, he did it in like a 12 inch vinyl um, packaging and it, and it was signed and numbered. So I think, you know, he created a limited edition. I think with, I think all of his physical product products, which is what DVDs are, you know, I think if you create a sense of scarcity and you have an audience that cares about scarcity, um, then there's, you know, potential, you know, you can still have potential for sales there. But I think it's very, sorry, excuse me. I think it's very particular to the audience. Okay. That's great. Good ideas. Now, um, I know uh, I would like you to tell our audience about the consultations you do because I can attest to one of the filmmakers in my class. I suggested you to my class, as I always do, and and she Mm -hmm. hired you, you. And I had given her an outline for distribution, and she came back with that filled in, filling in the film festivals to go to, the various areas where her film could be sold, and why and to whom, and it was absolutely brilliant. So tell us what you do for filmmakers in your consultation. So um, basically I, um, you know, usually it will always, I'll talk to a filmmaker first to see if it makes sense to work together. And, um, and then, and that doesn't cost anything, you know, Um, and it's usually 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And you talk about the project and what they want from it and, you know, what stage they're at, et cetera, and, um, you know, uh, what their goals are. And then if we proceed, then uh, my consultation is $800 and includes watching the film and two hours of consultation after that. Um, Usually the first session is 45 minutes to an hour. um, And then, you know, the other sessions can be, the, the rest of the time can be broken up two or three times, you know, depending on what's needed. And then it just depends on what stage the person's at and what the person needs. Sometimes the consultation, I think, in the case of this filmmaker, you know, I part of the time is I spent going over her um, distribution marketing plan and making notes on it and, and marking it up, um, you know, which is what you're referring to as the revision. And she's actually starting at a very early stage. I mean, I think she's still in the production process. Um, just entering pre, just entering post-production, and I think that's a very good stage to engage people out. But a lot of people I get are people in the middle of post-production or maybe towards the end of post-production. But I do try to suggest people start as early as possible. Um, and um, and with some clients, there's a one or two clients a month where I get more involved in, and then that's kind of like on a retainer basis. Um, but it's generally mostly it starts off with this initial consultation, and then if it goes over that, then it's on an hourly basis. And people, you know, check in with me, will send contracts to me to look at to see whether, you know, the contracts make sense. You know, if it's earlier in the process, I help people strategize, like, how to collect assets and, you know, how to prepare for distribution, um, you know, and advise people on, you know, what their websites look like and setting up their websites, um, et cetera, whatever they happen to need, you know, depend, it all depends on where they're at in the process and what they need for that part, point in time in the process. Well, that sounds marvelous because I honestly think that in today's world, 
uh, you need to uh, dart your marketing when you're in pre-production. You have to have a marketing plan, and you have to have a goal of where you mm-hmm. want to distribute this film and start identifying your market as early as possible. Agreed? Do you yeah. think so? Yeah, if that's possible. You know, I think at some point, you know, it's whether it's I, – I would – yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. It's as so early as possible. Yeah, exactly. Early as possible. Agreed. Because um, I, I'm all about how to finance your film, and I think when you're talking to potential donors and – they said, well, am I going to see this show at Century Theater? Where am I going to go to see this film? You know, they want, they don't have any idea of what goes on in the filmmaking process. And yeah. I think that you have to be able to segue and say, oh, we're, you're going to see this film in a lot more places than that. There are, mm-hmm. and you start talking about the various areas of distribution, and say mm-hmm. it'll be here and there and the other. And so it's like allaying their fears that, yes, this film will be seen. So I think knowing that as early on really enhances your ability to close your donors. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so we have to get back on uh, our list here. The availability of domestic TV for sales of docs and features. Tell us what you think is going on there. Well, I think it's, you know, tightening up and the the amount of money has kind of dropped in that regard for many for for many filmmakers, partially because, you know, there's not as much demand, there's competition from broadband. Um, I think now you're really seeing the competition between SVOD like Netflix and Amazon competing with broadcasts. And it's something I talked about in the book, you know, originally that this was going to happen, but you know, you see Amazon and Netflix um, producing their own films or acquiring um, Amazon is doing, you know, now with Ted Hope there, they're doing 12 films a year that they're producing strictly for, for Amazon prime. Um, and so, you know, you really see that, um, you know, there's a kind of like a crossover between broadband and, um, you know, and broadcast. And I think, you know, there's still, you know, money uh, from PBS for documentaries, um, you know, and there's still, you know, potential money from Showtime and HBO and some of the other platforms, you know, for purchasing films, but it has, you know, an IFC, it, but it has dropped. But generally, IFC is going to acquire, they're going to acquire a film for IFC. They're acquiring all the rights, not just broadcast. So, um, you know, I think there's, you know, you don't see that as much in, you know, the revenue streams. You see it a, a bit, but it's not maybe over the last five years, I think that's, that's dropped a bit. I noticed in your article you mentioned something about PBS Foreign. Can you tell me about that? Well, that's PBS Foreign. I think one of the filmmakers was represented by PBS International for foreign sales. And that's where, you know, traditionally where, you know, that's another revenue stream um, for filmmakers is, um, you know, for their – foreign television sales, especially for documentary filmmakers. So um, there are a number of foreign sales agents, both for narrative and for documentary, um, that, um, you know, that filmmakers will try to engage or engage, you know, to sell these foreign territories. And also those, those broadcast numbers generally are coming down as well. 
you know, unfortunately, you know, the sales figures from it's more and more difficult to get money from foreign television and foreign sales. They're making their own products. Yeah, they're making their. There's a lot of films that are made being made by the by the countries themselves. Um, and there's also just a lot of competition, you know, from other films. Plus, there's a lot of competition for the broadcast from broadband, you know. So um, as people, you know, watch films in different ways. So. Right. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk about direct digital. Uh, can you explain mm-hmm. who does this and how expensive it is to set up a download something like the VHX? So it doesn't really cost. Very much money at all to you know to put your film up on VHX or Vistrify or even Vimeo. Vimeo you have to have a pro account, which I think is two hundred dollars a year. Um, and basically, each of these platforms will allow your you know you to geolocate. You can do global distribution, global dis- digital distribution with these platforms. You know and um, and um, you know and it's a great ability for filmmakers to be able to go directly to an audience and not need to go through the traditional platforms that we talked about earlier. The one thing though is generally, you know, is a matter of being able to convince an audience to buy the film from your website or from VHX, you know, um, and some people will do that, but some people feel more comfortable buying. People like to shop where they like to shop. So some people would prefer to have it on Amazon. Some people prefer to do it on iTunes. But some people will come to your website, and especially if you can entice them with extra content that they're not going to get elsewhere, then that's something that, you know, you can motivate your audience to buy it from your site. And the advantage is is that you're going to keep a much bigger percentage than you would from iTunes. I think we, we figured something like you're going to keep somewhere around 53 to 56% from the sale on iTunes. You know, when you're working with, um, you know, with Vimeo, you're keeping 90% with VHX, you're keeping 85% of the money. Um, those platforms are taking, you know, 15% in the case of VHX and 10% in the case of Vimeo. So, um, uh, and it's also easier to reach a global audience with these platforms than it is on say iTunes or Amazon, um, you know, because those are, you know, you can, you know, make a global deal with your ad aggregator, but it sometimes depends on the individual countries, whether they're going to accept the title, then also whether you have subtitles and whether, or in some cases, whether your film is dubbed. Um, so, um, you know, this, these platforms enable you to reach a global audience and also deal with the audience directly, you know, Great. I think it sounds wonderful. You're right. Um, this could bring you a lot more money to use um, Vimeo or VHX. Mm-hmm. And a great idea about the extra content because we all, everybody has footage left over that they can uh, put in as bonus material. Good idea. Mm-hmm. All right. So I know it's getting. We're running out of time. So uh, let me just get into the big thing here. Theatrical. Do you suggest mm-hmm. that people do a theatrical run with their films? Let's say low budget features or uh, socially uh, docs with a, a high potential for good audiences. Well, you know, I think it depends on every film, you know, and I think so. I think every film is different, and um, you know, but I'll and I always speak about event theatrical because I don't, you know, if you're talking strictly conventional theatrical where it's week-long runs, 
you know, that's generally, you know, difficult for a lot of filmmakers to put butts in seats, you know, all week long. And some, you know, in some cases they can, and in some markets like New York, it's important to try to do it theatrical. Um, and but they because of it triggers reviews, but because of the glut of films that are being released theatrically in New York now, especially the New York Times, for instance, has said that they're not going to review every film that plays theatrically in New York. So it depends no. on the goals. You know, if your goals re- revolve around wanting um, reviews, et cetera, then you know that's conventional theatrical week-long runs or what's going to garner those reviews generally, um, as opposed to um, one-day events. But I also think that, you know, what I consider an event theatrical release includes film festivals, includes one-night screenings, and also includes um, trying to eventize your screenings as much as possible. You know, one of the films that I write about in um, in the Filmmaker Magazine articles, um, Beauty is Embarrassing, they had the... Um, the person, um, Dan, uh, uh, Wayne White, who was the subject of the film, he actually went out and did like performances in 15 cities. And those, those, those cities did much better business than the other cities. Cause I think audiences now you have to really think about like, what's the motivation for these audiences to get the, to get out of the home and into, um, and into the theaters, you know, as opposed to waiting for it on DOD. Um, so you really, I think, have to incentivize and think of creative ways to incentivize audiences um, to to go out and um, see the film in in a theater or in a live setting. Exactly. Well, that's yeah, that is great. Um, all right. What have we got enough time for you to tell us what you think of theatrical on demand? Do you? And they have an educational program. Are you familiar with anyone who's done any films through that uh, university college section? No, I think, and they've just started that. And, um, you know, and I think that's great that there's, and I think this is Tug who was doing it, who noticed that there was kind of like a an opportunity in the market there that people weren't really taking advantage of because that's, you know, that whole college network is something that, um, and I wrote about this in the book as well, it's really difficult for individual filmmakers to access because um, they're booked through, you know, each college has their own booking entity and um, each, uh, you know, and these people change over time and it's better if you go to their conventions if you can and, you know, that's not really within the realm of most independent filmmakers to do that. Um, and so I think that's great that they're doing that. And again, I think theatrical demand is a great tool and it's a matter of like having an audience or being able to, you know, develop an audience, um, you know, that is going to want to go out and see the films, but it's a great ability, a tool to have to be able to set up screening. Yes, I think it is. All right. Well, let us know how people can reach you, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, people can reach me through my website, um, which is either johnreese.com or hybridcinema.com, um, H-Y-B-R-I-D-C-I-N-E-M-A.com. And um, the hybridcinema.com will take you straight to my consulting page where you can send me an email about your film. Or you can just email me at john at hybridcinema.com and say that you'd be interested in consulting. So, And I'll get that as well. Oh, how exciting. Thank you so much for sharing all yeah. this 
of information, sure. John. We really appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you, Carol. I, I'm happy to do it. Okay. Thank you, Claire, I for do, helping one us thing with the I show. Do, one thing I love more than anything is talking to filmmakers about their projects. So I'm yes. happy to do it. Oh, good. All right. We're, that's perfect to hear. Thank you, John. Take care. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, John. Okay. 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 Thank you, guys. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. Be well, Carol. Thank you, sweet. Bye. Okay. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.